Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of The Break. I'm Father Roderick. I'm a priest, and I'm a geek, and I love to share with you everything that I'm passionate about. And this week, I'm going to be talking about a number of television shows, one in particular, Hello Tomorrow, a new show on Apple TV+. Plus. I'll tell you all about it and more, so stick around. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. If you are among the, what is it, 90% of the listeners that are enjoying this show, you like to listen to it, but you're not yet a patron, then maybe I can convince you to chip in a little bit and join that community of people that help make this possible. Because I love to do this, but I also would like to pay my bills and to have some food on the table. And the Pope, unfortunately, doesn't send me any money. So I am completely dependent on my patrons. If you are able to help, only if you are able to help, and uh, you would like to join me in this mission to reach out with entertaining programs to do stuff that most priests don't have time for or maybe don't even know how to do, then I would gladly invite you to uh, to join my patrons. Um, and of course, in return, I will try to do something uh, as well for you. Uh, one of the things every patron gets access to is, is this fun Discord community that we have where we talk about a whole lot of things. Um, but it's also a, a place where you can meet other people that enjoy the same things as you do. And so uh, it's just one of the perks. Just take a look at uh, patreon.com slash fatherroderick for more information. And thanks to all my current patrons. I really appreciate your support. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I'm recording this on a very beautiful sunny day, but the wind chill is a whole different story. It's really cold. This morning I had to uh, celebrate Mass in one of the other locations, uh, quite far from here, so I, I went out, stepped on my bike, and I immediately regretted that I didn't put on warmer clothes because it was so, especially if you're going downhill, there are a lot of hills here in this area, and then if you go up the hill, you get very hot because you're sweating, and it's like, I don't, I... <laughs> Really, I'm not very good at, at, at climbing hills, either on foot or on by bike. But then, so then you're really warm and sweaty, and then you go down, and then all the wind is blowing through you. I was so cold. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we don't have the kind of cold that I see on TV in parts of, of the United States, where it's like, like snow in, in Los Angeles. Like, seriously, there was snow on the Hollywood sign. I have never heard that in my lifetime. So I, I guess for people in San Francisco, Los Angeles, it must be a bit of a system shock to have that kind of weather. Whereas in other parts of the world, it is super warm. In Auckland, in, in parts of New Zealand, they have inundations. It, the weather is all over the place. One thing is certain, it's, it's temporary and, well, springtime will come and hopefully stuff will stabilize a little bit. I'm already glad to see lots of flowers outside. Of course, as you know, the Netherlands is a, is a country of tulips and, and beautiful um, colors in, in springtime. This is the most beautiful season. Um, well, it's actually not yet springtime, but we're getting there. The sunshine is there. Now, the only thing I'm waiting for is a little bit better temperatures. Um, this is also the first week of Lent. We're going to talk a little bit more about Lent and actually why there is something like Lent in, in the Catholic and Christian tradition. Um, 
but it is um, uh, less than 40 days before it's Easter time. And then I know that when it's Easter, means Star Wars celebration, means hopefully, I don't know, lots of coolness. And, and it's, it's going to be, the weather is going to be improving. It's going to be warmer. I can finally fire up the barbecue in the backyard. I'm so looking forward to, uh, to this uh, springtime and summertime. Can't come soon enough. I do not like movies. They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So as I mentioned before, I'm using this uh, this app or service called Tract, T-R-A-K-T, um, which is a bit like TV time. Some of you may be using that to track their their viewing habits. So you can enter if you're watching a movie, you can you can log it. Um, and what I like about Tract is, first of all, it's more open than than TV time. So I can use the information from various angles. Of, for instance, my my diary app can tap into it, so it it. Ha- it keeps a record of what I'm watching, so that may be fun a few years from now to see what, what I was watching at a certain time in my life. Um, but what I appreciate most is that it can keep track of also series that I'm... Sometimes I'm, I just stop watching a series, and then a year later I come back to it, and I totally forget where I was. Well, now that I'm logging the episodes, I can always keep track, or the service keeps track of where I was in a certain series, so it prevents me from going back and... Um, Having to rewatch episodes, and then after a while, you're like, I think I already saw this one, and where did I stop watching this? So, uh, what it also is very useful for is that when I do my TV and movie segment, I have a like an immediate list of the stuff that I've been watching this past week, and so I figured. I could just go and do some short segments about every episode that I watched and and then maybe take a little bit more time for a new show or a movie that I haven't reviewed yet and uh, go a bit more in-depth with that. With that, So let's start with the shorts. Uh, what have I been watching this past week? Um, episode 5 already of, of a television show that I really enjoy super much on an Apple TV Plus. It's called Shrinking. It stars Harrison Ford in I think one of his best roles in the past 10 years. He is amazing as the grumpy psychiatrist who is also suffering from, all, from not from Alzheimer's disease, but from um, uh, the trembling and everything. And so he, um, he is uh, p- p- part of a, like a group of three uh, psychologists or psychiatrists that are helping their patients, but uh, it's, it's also comedy. It's, it's very much like Ted Lasso. It's got heart. Don't watch a series to get any psychological advice because it, I don't think they really play by the rules. But it is every episode really moves me and and makes me laugh and sometimes even make me makes me tear up a little bit. Um, excellent show. I restarted the X Files. Would you believe it? The X Files was on TV when I started my work in my first parish, but it was on a commercial channel. And the first few years that I wasn't at parish. I only had like the public channels, the ones that you could receive over the air. We didn't have cable TV at the time. There was the cable TV in, in, in a lot of the country, but not in that old village where I lived. And so I only had access to public television. So I was watching Star Trek Voyager at the time. That was my go-to show. Um, recorded it on VHS. But I heard everybody talking about X-Files. And then finally, many years later, I've, I finally got to see like a few episodes here and there of the subsequent seasons 
And I always wanted to go back and, and, and rewatch the whole thing chronologically because I know that there, these were like a lot of the, these episodes were standalone, but there was also this underlying mythology that stretched out over all these seasons. And uh, I kind of feel like it's a gap in my television experience or anything. So I, I, I've been going back a couple of years ago and, and well, maybe two years ago, I think. Um, and I started rewatching the first season. And what was super cool is that back then, when the series first aired, they aired it in four by three. So it's the old, the old shape of televisions at the time. Remember those big boxes? And um, that was at the time that a computer monitor of of like 16 inch was considered to be wide, super wide screen. You know, <laughs> now it's like. What? Even my laptop has a bigger screen. Uh, and we were watching television on those tiny little screens. But uh, the 4 by 3 aspect ratio was standard, like Star Trek Next Generation, same thing. It was all aired in 4 by 3 whereas now, of course, all televisions are 16 by 9 uh, which is much more longer and, and it's more uh, kind of the way that we see the world. And... Uh, but what is so cool about the X-Files is that they actually filmed it in 16 by 9 and it's only later on in editing that they cropped it. So they cut off the sides of the screen to make it fit on television. They filmed it knowing that they were going to cut off those sides of the picture, but they preserved the entire 16 by 9 image. And so they rescanned the first few seasons because it was all filmed on real film so not on VHS, like a lot of series from that era. Think of Babylon 5, for example, which was kind of like most of the action was filmed on film, but then all the special effects were done in like super low resolution VHS quality. Uh, with X-Files, that is also the case. Like the special effects are all very grainy and old fashioned, but almost everything else that they rescanned looks super modern. It is just kind of wild to watch this series and to to think that how how long ago was this like like 20 years ago or maybe even longer and it still looks very much up to date and i have to say the storytelling is amazing what i really appreciate is how much they did with the very very little money that they had um you don't really r realize but X-Files, because it's such an institution, it became so famous. But at the time, this was considered to be ultra-low-budget television. And so it's thanks to the cinematography that they were able to make it feel as if it was big-budget. But it's all in the, in the way they, they use the camera. There's a lot of... They use dolly shots, which is where you put the camera literally on, a, uh, on reels. And so there are a lot of these shots where the camera physically moves towards something, or is, so it's not zooming in like was the often the what what they used to do with uh, when they were filming uh, on on tape, but they were actually moving the camera, stuff like that. It's it's almost imperceptible, um, but it makes that this this show still looks extremely polished. Um, you could tell a little bit by the like the writing and the acting, that it is a bit dated, but it holds up really well. And I have to say, some of these episodes, I just watched an episode called, um, it's from the first season, The Ghost in the Machine, where um, it starts almost like a Michael Crichton-type novel, where there's this guy in a big company, 
and they have AI. So this is how how much the show was ahead of its time. There is an AI system that is in control of the entire building. And there's this this boss and he wants to shut down the computer, the, the, the artificial intelligence. And then the computer kills him. And of course, uh, Mulder and Scully are, are, are involved because it's a bit of a mystery how that happened. And of course, there's no, there's no logical explanation for it. And then of course, uh, uh, Scully and Mulder are, are used to think outside the box. And so they, they kind of start to, to uh, hint at the fact, that, well, maybe there's something supernatural going on. Whereas, in fact, w- when you look at what, what we're seeing now with chat GTP and, and this explosion of artificial intelligence in, in creating images and, and in, in, in uh, writing texts, we're at the point where what they showed there as something that's almost magic is actually real. It's reality. It's, it, and, and this is just the beginning of the... AI revolution. It's it's going. It's asking a lot of profound questions about. Okay, so where do we factor in, and are we really in control of what this these artificial intelligences, what what they what they do, and how this will um, continue to shape our worldview? Because a lot of people are now using artificial intelligence to write texts or to summarize texts. I mean, we, we, we need to be careful. These, a, a story like this is almost like a cautionary tale. Like, computers can do amazing things. But if there are no longer humans involved in making the moral decisions, then that can actually lead to some very dangerous situations. Back then, it was just science fiction. Now I'm thinking, this is, this is the world we live in. We may actually need to call on to, you know, people like... Mulder and Scully to uh, help us uh, navigate these situations where artificial intelligence can actually, you know, also it can do a lot of good, but can also do a lot of harm if people are no longer in control. So that was fun. Um, Stargate, another series that I started watching maybe 10 years ago. And I do recall that I watched at least a few of the seasons. I had the, I still have the show on on DVD, but I found it now on one of the streaming platforms, um, and I have no clue where I am in that series. I I I've been watching a part of an episode, and then I was like, eh, I've already seen this one, but I don't even know in which season I stopped watching. So that's going to require me to do some some browsing and to see if 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 some episodes can trigger my mind. Because now that I've restarted watching, that too is a really enjoyable show. It it is from I think the same era as the X Files. Feels much more dated. Like that was super low budget, and not all the stories are written that well. So some of these feel a little bit on the slow side. And so maybe it's not a problem that I don't actually recall where I was. I'll just pick it up somewhere in the third season and maybe, you know, make a decision. Maybe there are some lists on Reddit or something like must-see episodes. I don't think I'm going to watch every single episode of, of Stargate. But I love that idea. I like the actors and the kind of the, the overall idea of the show. Um. I hope that one day we'll see a revival of Stargate. I, I think what they did, was it the last show 
they had a like a two season reboot of Stargate, and I forgot what it was called. And I actually thought that one was really good, and it got canceled, and I was so upset. Oh, maybe we're, we're we we live in the era of of reboots, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to revive that um, franchise uh, one of these days or years. Also, watched an, another episode of one of my favorite animated shows, uh, one that was co-created by the great Dave Filoni, who now, of course, is kind of the successor, you could say, story-wise at least, to George Lucas in, in the world of Star Wars. Back then, he was working on a very different type of show called Avatar. Avatar, The Last Airbender. And um, I'm now in the uh, second season, I think, episode 25, Avatar Day. I like that in that show... The kids uh, that we meet in the first few episodes, they're, they're slowly growing up. And I heard stories, and I don't know if this is real, or maybe it's just a rumor. I think it's real. They are actually working on an animated series with where all the kids in, in, the, in the stories that we know are now grown up. And, and that's interesting. Of course, as you know, Netflix, I think, is working also on a, a live-action version of Avatar The Last Airbender. I can see why. Because it's a really great story, and um, it's it's very rich. It's a it's a, a very nice self-contained world. Um, and but the thing is, the animated series is already so good and so funny. I don't know how they can top that with live action, but I I can see why they try. We're gonna wait and see because a lot of these kind of reboots or remakes, it's not always a success. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. I'm skeptical. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying rewatching, or actually watching for the first time, uh, the animated version of Avatar: The Last Airbender. And then, speaking of Dave Filoni, of course, he's now right now working full time for Disney and creating lots of Star Wars stories. Um, he is uh, uh, the, one of the writers, or maybe the main writer of the Bad Batch, which is currently uh, has just I've just seen episode ten which was good. It was called Retrieval. tells the story of uh, the, the ship of the, um, of the Bad Batch has been stolen and they now have to retrieve their ship and they end up on a mining planet and there is this kind of evil boss and uh, he uses kids to work in the mines and he basically lies to them, uh, exploiting them um, and, and only giving them scraps for food, and then, of course, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil how it ends, but I was watching the episode, and I, I knew exactly where the story came from. This is a very, very classic story, and it's called Oliver. And I loved that movie as a kid, and when I watched this episode, I immediately knew this is just a Star Wars version of Oliver, where these kids are working for this this burglar, this 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 crook, this thief, and he is using these kids for his own benefit. And and even the main character in this episode uh, of The Bad Batch was a little bit like Oliver, a bit naive, you know, needed a place to belong. And, uh, and, and, and the kids don't realize that they're being used um, for the profit of, uh, of, of this, this bad guy. So I, I appreciated that. On the other hand, I was also... It was another kind of standalone episode. It didn't really move the the overall plot forward. 
it's a still a bit hit and miss. I mean, I, I like the Bad Batch, but it I think it's still a bit old-fashioned old-fashioned Star Wars storytelling. Uh, we, we've been spoiled by, by Andor and by The Mandalorian, and we want these big, sprawling stories where, where the characters change, and it doesn't seem to happen that much with, uh, with The Bad Batch. Um, and uh, some episodes are really good and, and dramatic, and other episodes, it's like, you wouldn't miss it. And I, I feel f- that they did the same with The Clone Wars, uh, like a, at least a third of the episodes. You can, you can easily skip them. As long as you watch the ones where you follow this overall big story that they tell over the course of all the seasons, I wish they would do that a little bit more and more often with Bad Batch. But hey, it's a it's a kind of a placeholder show anyway. Because next week, in the beginning of March, we're going to see the first episode of The Mandalorian, the third season. Finally, that show has been in the works for more than what is it, two, three years? Feels like an eternity that we last saw um, Grogu being taken uh, with a very famous Star Wars character. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen the series yet, but it was an incredible uh, uh, f- finale. And then and then it's no more Mandalorian. We think that it's actually just uh, maybe a year ago that we last saw the Mandalorian, but that's not true. It's because the Mandalorian and Grogu Baby Yoda appeared in the Book of Boba Fett in a couple of episodes, but we haven't seen a new episodes of the episode of the Mandalorian in more than two years, and so um, I wasn't surprised that I think it was John Favreau who said in an interview just the other day that actually they had already completely written the fourth season of The Mandalorian. So the first episode of season three hasn't even aired yet, but he has already written the entirety of the fourth season. And I think it's because the third season had been already, it was long done, and they're spreading it out a little bit. This is also part of the kind of the new strategy that um, that they are implementing uh, when it comes to Disney+. Plus. Um, and I think this has to do with something I will I will get to in a minute. Um, there, there may be, I think, very pragmatic reasons for them to kind of spread this out a little bit and to maybe keep stuff on shelves a little bit longer. But I'll get to that in a minute. Let's first talk about the, the, the main course of today's television and movie segment, and that is my first impressions of a new show on Apple TV+, Plus, which I absolutely love. It's called Hello Tomorrow. Some of you are old enough to remember The Jetsons. The Jetsons was made by Hanna-Barbera. It was, so the creators basically of The Flintstones, a show that I adored as a child, you know, Fred Flintstone, Wilma! And who doesn't know the opening song, like, Flintstones meet the Flintstones, have a yabba dabba do time. I, I didn't even know what the words meant as a child, because it was in English, but we all sang along. And they also created The Jetsons, which was very much the same kind of animated style, but instead of telling a story about people that lived in prehistoric times, this was a story about people living in the future. But it was a future imagined in the late 50s of the previous century. And it has that particular style that is instantly recognizable. If you've ever been to Epcot... The old Epcot, they've revamped it uh, uh, lately. But I remember going to Disney World maybe 
a little more than 10 years ago, and I'd never been there. And we went on this tour of the, the big Epcot. It's this, this big, like, it looks like a huge golf ball that is sitting there. And it, you, it, it was, you know, it was very futuristic when they built it. And there is actually a ride on the inside of that huge, gigantic, giant golf ball. And it was like a show in the style of the Jetsons. So it was kind of this dream, a very American version of what the future would look like, kind of based on uh, the culture and also the, you could say, the style and the architecture and the fashion of the late 50s. And so for a very, very long time, uh, they kept that show of, of you know, like the, the future, this, the future of the world, the it it, it 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 almost became iconic for that ride that even though of course we were in the future that was at the time when they built the thing was still like science fiction we already knew that the future wasn't uh in the, in what we saw in the jetsons we don't have flying cars and yet it was always fun to kind of see the whole the, this particular style of that Jetsons area, well, or era. This is exactly what makes Hello Tomorrow so fun. This is a live-action series, but it is taking place in a world that is like the world of the Jetsons. We do have floating cars. So it's like a land speeder in, in, in Star Wars, but instead, it's, it's, the, it's these corvettes and these old-fashioned cars that we all know from a, a movie like american graffiti but now they don't have tires they float and but the, everything in the series and this is so incredibly well done is has that kind of old-fashioned style uh, another one of my favorite movies is uh, pleasantville which is this story about a, a town and it's a television town but everybody who is who lives in that town, they don't know that they're actually in a dreamed-up fake world. And then Toby Maguire and uh, uh, he plays a, a a boy who is transported into that world with his sister, and they have to tell people this is not real. That this is a television show that you're in. And then the moment they people start to realize, well, oh, so this is not a real world, then then this town that is completely in black and white starts to get color, etc. Anyway, love that movie. Highly recommend it if you've never seen it. But this, this world in Hello Tomorrow is exactly that, that same uh, style, but it's all in color. And it is as if the, the entire world is exactly like that future that was projected in the 50s. Even the writing the way people talk is very much like what you would hear in those old-fashioned series. And they found some actors that have that physique that you would see a lot in, in, in television shows of that era. I mean, I, I know that Mike Kuyper is a, a, one of our uh, longtime listeners and viewers. Um, he loved that era. And I, I'm, I'm sure that he would appreciate the series because it's, it's so much... Uh, it's, it's so rec instantly recognizable... Um, and everything fits. But what what is so fun is so. What's the story? Um, there is this group of salesmen, and they are going from town to town in the United States, selling people basically uh, a house on the moon. 
they tell people that uh, there are rockets flying to the moon every day, and you see actually see them in the sky. And it's because on the light side of the moon, there is an entire city that is under a dome, a transparent dome, and you can actually buy yourself a house there and escape the dreary world of, of Earth and build a new existence. And so they go from town to town selling people this idea, like, you could live on the moon, and you don't actually have to be rich, just... Put your signature here and we'll make it happen. The thing is, these journeys to the moon keep getting postponed. And so, we don't know exactly, is this real? Are there, is, is there a moon base? This is part of the, the fun of the series. Is like, you're like, wait a minute. I mean, you, you're led to believe that this is actually something that is happening in that world. Because, yeah, you know what? The Jetsons did it. Um, they've got flying cars, so why not? You see the rockets in the sky. But the more the story evolves, the more I'm starting to think, I don't know. Are they, are they selling hot air? Is this real? But, the, but, but that's not the only thing that makes this series so compelling. What actually is happening is that even though at first you think it's this, this bright, optimistic, like super fun world... Uh, where everybody talks like that and it is amazing, blah, blah, blah. Actually, I can't do the accent of the 50s. Um, but there's, there is a lot of stuff happening in the lives of these people um, that is actually, the way it's filmed and the way it's written is very modern. So there's a lot of issues in relational aspects and people actually pretending to be someone that they're not and there is a father-son dynamic which is really well done. Um Again, it's a television series that has a heart. And it's, it goes much more... It, at first, I thought, this is such a great gimmick. I like this kind of old-fashioned science fiction. And then after an episode or two, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is very modern television. This is very good writing. There's much more to this. So, in a way, it is a bit the same kind of alternate, alternate future type of storytelling that you see in, in For All Mankind, the Ronald D. Moore series about uh, an alternate timeline in which the Russians were first to land on the moon. Um, but, uh, and, and at the same time, it's very different. I can't, absolutely can't tell where, where they're going to take this story, but it is totally unique in, um, in, in, in the way they... In the world building, I've never seen a series like this. Um, there are some great actors. Uh, as Frank Azaria is there, uh, one of the guys actually who voices a lot of the voices in in, in uh, or a lot of the characters in The Simpsons. Um, is it Frank or Hank Azaria? I never know. Anyway, and there's also the the actress who um, who plays oh uh, gosh, what's her name, Doctor So and So, who actually becomes the Borg Queen in the second season of, uh, of of Star Trek Picard, and she's she's playing here a lady who also wants to go to the moon because she wants to get rid of her husband. The thing is, she didn't count on the fact that her flight would be delayed for a couple of months, and so it's uh, it's like. It's a series where I was. I'm watching and I'm thinking. I know this face. Who is this? I've seen her or him in another series, and I just can't figure out which one it was. I have to go on IMDb, and then I'm thinking, Oh, of course, that's her or that's him. And um, and that I think is a compliment for the for their acting because you forget 
you totally believe that they're part of that world and yet there's something in the back of your mind like i know this face i know this actor and then sometimes i think i know the actor and then i think oh that must be so and so from that series and i google it and or I, on imdb and i'm oh no that's a totally different actor just very much kind of the same type of of uh, uh of character that um, that i know from other series um Highly recommended. It's a great show. It's called Hello Tomorrow, and you can watch it on Apple TV Plus if you have that. Um, and then finally, to wrap things up, why did I say, mention that that maybe there is a there is a reason that Disney Plus is delaying some shows and taking its time, even though I think that Mandalorian season three has been wrapped and 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 finished months and months ago because we saw a trailer a year ago in in Anaheim. And from the looks of the trailer, the entire ep- uh, series, season was already finished. And yet it, it took them more than a year to bring it to us, to air it. And I think this has to do with uh, something um, that is looming on the horizon. Actually, it's not that far in the future. Apparently, there's going to be another writer strike. So there, uh, the writers, television and movie writers, are... Uh, have are unionized in a guild and uh of course life is getting expensive for a lot of people and uh, the world has changed a lot of the stuff uh that used to be only on television once is now on streaming services and so they get and then some companies will sell their series for syndication and it's like and a lot of the writers don't get any revenue from subsequent airings of their stuff so their contracts are based on a model of television and movie making that is completely gone and so they want changes they want to get proper remuneration and you know what i think they're right um it's 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 important that that uh, that people that do good work and writers are so essential to to quality television um i think it's unfair that they are being left out of, of you know all the gains that are being made with the streaming televisions television shows um so i can understand that they want to cut uh, but appara- apparently to put pressure on the whole negotiation phase they're going to have another writer strike and um it's been a long time since we had our last writer strike i think it was in 2008 or something like that it was in the middle of lost in the middle of battlestar galactica and all of a sudden the all the writers in hollywood stopped working and in fact they couldn't even do rewrites so also all the filming stopped because you cannot even change a line if if you are filming and you discover well you know what this this script doesn't really work we have to rewrite that line immediately the writer's guilt would say nope we're on strike here and this is why uh there was a season in in the television series lost and also one in battlestar galactica where it was like only a few episodes like eight eight episodes at the time a season was like usually like 20 episodes all of a sudden we get seasons of like eight episodes and uh and the quality went completely down the drain i remember the lost series was like oh my gosh they hit they jumped a shark battlestar galactica had an entire season where they were stuck on a planet there was it was so bad. And then, of course, once the writer strike was over, these shows rebounded. But a lot of the a lot of the work came to a grinding halt. And it was, uh, of course, financially a pretty disastrous time because that writer strike t- went on for, for, for several months. 
Now, if there's going to be a new rider strike, you can bet that big companies that really rely on having this steady output of content, otherwise people will not continue to stay subscribed, they are preparing for this. It's worst case scenario. So now Disney has The Mandalorian and they're only going to air it in March. So they have several months where it's going to be on television and that they probably have already wrapped filming for The Skeleton Crew and Ahsoka, the first season, probably also some animation that is done behind the scenes so that in case there is going to be a writer strike, they have the material to keep the network alive, to keep people, to give people reasons to stay subscribed until it's over. And the fact that John Favreau mentioned, uh, almost as an aside, like, oh yeah, by the way, I've already finished uh, writing uh, season four. I'm thinking, that's not by accident. This is because they're preparing for the worst. It's, it's not certain that there's going to be a strike, but in case there is going to be, Disney is using their... Uh, they, they've always... This is also corporate communication. They tell us, well, you know, we need to cut costs and Disney is operating at a loss. Uh, we need to uh, really change our approach to, to storytelling, etc., and I'm thinking, yeah, but you also have to survive a writer strike if that comes about. So it's also a bit, you know, that they don't mention it. Probably also because that would maybe have an impact on negotiations. But I am certain that they are well prepared. So who knows? We'll see in a couple of months if uh, if this is going to happen or not. One thing is certain: uh, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, uh, networks have material to keep us subscribed and of course the world is now a lot bigger than the united states when it comes to popular television series this is one of the reasons i think why they are now buying all that stuff from south korea and other countries because you cannot bet on one horse anymore it's it's the risk is way too big <laughs> catholics rock Time for a short visit to the peculiar bunch. Uh, these strange Catholics, especially during these 40 days of Lent. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? I just had a nice light bulb snack with some mayonnaise. It was really delicious. But that's not the only thing uh, that I can mention about Lent. Why actually do we celebrate Lent? Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. As you all know, Lent in the Catholic Church starts with Ash Wednesday, and then it's about 40 days until the beginning of Holy Week. Or actually, if you want to be more precise, the Tridium Pascale in, in, in Latin, which means the, the Paschal Tridium, the three days, uh, so Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and uh, Holy Saturday, followed by the Easter Vigil and then Easter morning. So Lent goes all the way up to that Wednesday before the beginning of that of those three days of Easter. Um, and it's, it's not entirely 40 days. There's a bit of variation there, but kind of all, usually it's around 40 days. Um, but for, for a lot of parishioners nowadays, um, they, don't, they work. 
so during the week so they don't have the opportunity to go to church on Ash Wednesday so this morning I had to preach for a lot of parishioners who um, actually for them Lent starts this weekend so I wanted to give them a, a bit of a summary like a global idea what is Lent about why do we even bother um, and uh, that was actually I had to give it some thought you know how do I explain this what Lent is about the, the, of course the readings the Bible readings help a lot in 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 giving us like uh, the gist of the, this is this this is what it's all about and uh there were two interesting readings uh, this year one is the reading of the temptation of of adam and eve or even adam i should say by the by the the devil or satan uh in in the in the form of a snake and uh you all know the story uh, there's this wonderful world that God created for the, the two people that he that he created in his image. And he said, this is all for you. You know, I'm, I'm, there, there's nothing that you could desire uh, that I don't give you. Except for this one tree in the center of the garden. You cannot eat of it. Don't, don't even touch it. Uh, but, you know... Why would you? There, there's, there's more than plenty for, 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 for the both of you. And then, of course, the serpent is like, ah, but why can't you touch that tree? Oh, it's because God doesn't want you to become his equal. Uh, you know what? Just, just take eat from that tree. Who is God to deny you something like that? So, so this the the serpent actually creates an artificial need. These people are perfectly happy, and and, and it's not just that that God created this wonderful world for them, but He's also the source of all the love and friendship that they could wish for, and and yet the the devil makes them doubt uh, that that God that makes them feel like like th- their life is not complete unless they have that one more thing, and so I explained in my homily this is this kind of this has been the ongoing problem, is that that from generation to generation, we are led to believe we are tempted to believe that our life will only be complete if we get that one thing that we don't yet have. And, and, and it's, it's everywhere in the world. And we always think that, oh, if only I get that one thing that I don't have, but I've seen it on TV and it must be wonderful, if only I have that, then I, I'm perfectly happy. And then the thing is, of course, we know this from experience, the moment you have the thing that you desire to have, you already want the next thing. You know, it's, it's, it's this whole idea of never enough. And you know what? That is because we're always focusing on stuff, on things. We think that things are going to make us happy. Whereas in the gospel, uh, Jesus is very clear that Life is not about stuff. It's not even just about food. And he goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And in the desert, there's nothing except one thing. And that is God. So God, it's the Holy Spirit that leads him into the desert. And Jesus prays for 40 days and 40 nights. And his father keeps him alive. And so Jesus discovers, of course, he already knew that. But he he also shows us that you can actually live on love alone. God's love is so powerful that it can sustain you, even if everything else falls away. So it's the total opposite of the abundance in, in the story of creation where Adam and Eve 
ultimately end up believing that it's not enough because we we don't have that one thing, that one thing that God told, tells us not to eat from. Instead of trusting him and valuing the relationship of trust between these two first humans and God, we break that relationship to grab what we don't have, and thereby we lose everything else. And in the gospel, and this is so funny, Jesus goes into the desert, and then at the end of 40 days, the devil tries his old tricks. He's like, okay, let's see if this new Adam, this Jesus, if he falls for the same ruse as, as Adam and Eve at the beginning of time. And so he, he proposes the same things as the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And he says, you know what? You're hungry. Just change these, these, these stones into bread. Or are you really sure that God takes care of you? You know what? Proof is in the pudding. Just throw yourself off the temple and then we'll see. If, if God sends the angels, uh, you know, you don't have to... You don't have to, uh, to, to doubt God's trust anymore. And then the third temptation is um, the, the devil says, I will give you everything you have, all the stuff that you can see. There's only one thing you, I want you to give up, and that is your relationship with your father. Kneel before me. It's kind of like Zod, what Zod does. To super, kneel before Zod. This is Superman reference. But of course you don't, because he's evil, and it doesn't even belong to him. It's, it's, it's fake. It's as if the, the, the devil can only think in very human categories, like, oh, I'll just promise you stuff. I'll try to lure you away from what is truly valuable, and that is relationships. It's friendship. It's trust, faith in God, and faith in each other. And if you fall for it, if you think, well, my life is only complete if I have this or that thing, that's the moment that you enter that slippery slope and you may end up losing everything you have. You know, and this is, I told the story of this fairy tale. I don't know if you know it. Um, it's, it's an old European fairy tale, but I think there are versions all over the world in different cultures and about the, the goose with the golden eggs. So I told the story this morning to uh, the children in church. I said there was this, you know, this goose and it was a magical goose and, and, uh, she was owned by a very poor family, and the goose wanted to help that family by laying a golden egg. And then the farmer sells the egg, and then he, he comes back the next day, and he wants to find another golden egg, and he, he sells it. He doesn't share it. He uses it to turn his farm into a castle, and he's got way more money and food than, than he can ever, than he, than he even needs. Um, and then one day, the goose, knowing that, well, they actually have enough, stops laying golden eggs. And then the farmer is like, I want my gold. And, and he kills the goose, thinking that maybe on the inside I can find gold. But of course, it's a magical goose. There is no gold on the inside. And he killed the goose with the golden eggs. Now, this is kind of a, an old cautionary tale. Um, and it's more about, it's often used as a as a story to say, well, you know what, you, you, you don't have... you. Don't be too greedy. Don't don't kill the source uh, of of your income by wanting it here and now. Try to protect where it comes from. You can use this as a cautionary tale, for instance, for the way in which we use the earth. You know, we can exploit it and just use up all the natural resources because we want it now, uh, instead of making sure that we keep a balanced that we take care of this planet so that future generations can also 
use the harvest of this planet. So it's, it's, it's a cautionary tale against selfishness. But I said, I explained to the children, you know, this is very similar to what Jesus tries to teach his followers, that nothing is more important than, than keeping that, than protecting the relationship with the source of what makes you truly happy. In this case, the relationship between the farmer and the goose. But the farmer, he, want, he just wants the gold. So he doesn't care about the goose and he kills the goose. This is very similar to people who say, you know what, I don't need God like Adam and Eve. I can have it now. Why is God giving me all these restrictions? I, I, just, I just take what I can get, you know, carpe diem. Uh, uh, the old uh, Romans used to say, just take whatever you can because you live today and you might die tomorrow. And it's the opposite of what Jesus says. And it all comes down to, and, and this is what Lent is all about. You know, Lent is not just about uh, fasting or uh, giving away money. I mean, that's all important, praying. But it's all, it's, it's 40 days of trying to follow Jesus by telling your, by teaching yourself, by doing. Nothing is more important than your friendship with God. And that nobody's more, and nothing is more important in your life than your neighbor who needs your help. And so this is why sharing is such an important part of Lent. It's not just praying and fasting. Those, if, you, if you isolate those from sharing, from almsgiving, then it becomes just a pious exercise of self-improvement. But Lent is not about self-improvement, at least not in the way of, you know, in which we only improving myself for my own benefits. No, it's self-improvement in becoming more like, like Jesus, in becoming more like God, becoming a giver instead of someone who takes. And by, by voluntarily depriving us of stuff and food, by giving away, sharing money, and uh, eating less, we, we, we tell ourselves and we feel it that there is more than just food and that stuff should never have a stronghold on us. We shouldn't ap- make it an absolute. It's, it's not the same as friendship. And so keep your relationship with God alive because he provides you with something even more important than golden eggs. In, in every mass, in every Sunday celebration, God offers you his love. There's, so much more valuable than gold and money. It's, it's what we're going to live on for eternity. And he already gives it now. You don't even have to die for it to receive it. And so, and so often we forget about that and we devalue uh, our, our relationship with God and, and we think that we have other stuff to do on Sundays. But by doing that, we choose stuff and our own pleasure and our entertainment above what is truly going to feed our life for eternity, which is God's love. And, and, and you know, what is the cause of all wars? It's exactly that. It's going after something that is not yours and taking it by force and, and valuing stuff above people. This is what's currently happening in Ukraine with a horrible war where so many thousands of people are dying and are killed for what to have more of the same and and as if stuff can make you happy as if a country like russia hasn't got just a 
total incredible wealth of resources. There's more than enough for everyone. And yet, for people that are not seeking their happiness in the right place, there's always this, but, oh, but our neighboring country has what we don't have, so we're going to take it, just like Eve and Adam are taking what wasn't theirs, because they feel it's not enough, whereas it should have been enough. There is more than enough for everyone. So that, that's what I tried to explain to the kids, and also it reminded me that Lent is so topical, so so important and the the earlier in life you you learn this and you start practicing this because this is not natural in a certain way we have to practice this every year again that's this is why every year we have lent because it's so easy to get tempted and to forget about the 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 real hierarchy of what is important in our life oh my phone is uh, is ringing for some reason, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to answer that. Can I turn that off? No, I don't know. How do I how do I silence uh, this? I don't know. I should have put it on. Like normally on my on my previous phone, I can just turn it off, and I can refuse a call, but I can't do that here. Some people. Don't respect boundaries because it's a Sunday. I'm not, you know. Anyway, I'm not complaining. I'm just going to put this thing away. Hopefully you, you won't hear it too much. Sorry about that. It's another thing I have to learn. <laughs> that I have to put things on, uh, on, uh, on mute. Anyway, so uh, this is why we celebrate Lent. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? All right, I'm 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 up to date again with my reading list. I I did my best. I read a few more books. Um, unfortunately, two of them were terrible, and only one was really enjoyable. So um, I usually do like positive book reviews, but I will briefly mention the books that I've read uh, that um, that aren't so good. So sometimes recommendations can fool you and it's like everybody's talking about this book so I have to read it as well and then you read it and you're like, really? Why? Why is this so popular? Okay, the first book I read uh, was just a little distraction. It's one of those novels based on Star Trek Picard. I like to read these expanded universe type of novels and this one was focusing on uh, one of the new characters of the television series, uh, Rios. And, and actually, it's kind of a Han Solo type of... Like, it's a blend between Han Solo and Riker. Um, and uh, I, I really like the character. Unfortunately, he's no longer part of the series. So in, in, in uh, season three, they got rid of a lot of the regulars of, of the first two seasons. And so I was looking forward to reading a little bit more about his backstory in this novel called Rogue Elements. Um, it's a beautiful cover. It looks amazing. Um was promising me a kind of a prequel story because we, we get to know him in the in the first season, but we don't know much about where he comes from. And so I was starting to read this book, and oh my gosh, it was so bad. It was terrible. And I think the reason it is so bad is that this is this was written, I think, between season one and season two, which means that the writers of this novel or the writer of this novel probably wasn't allowed to to do anything that had impact on the character because 
they didn't even know what they were going to do with that character later on in the television series. So you can tell that they are trying to write a story that is completely inconsequential. But the downside of that is it's completely not worth reading because nothing happens. And instead, there is some fragmentary stuff. Like they, they, there's an entire chapter that that just does a summary of a like an original series episode uh, about a, a planet on which they have read a, a book about mafia, the the world like a mafia novel or something like The Godfather, and they think that 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 becomes their bible, and so their entire alien uh, societies is built on the mafia type of uh, transactions and everything. And I think that Kirk and Spock end up on that planet, etc., etc. So there's this whole summary of an episode which just seems completely unrelated to the rest of the story. And then, then, then towards the end, they do a little... Uh, something about a, an, uh, this, this book is then put up on for auction and they've duplicated it. And, and then... But the book starts with Rios actually buying his ship, and then it it just meanders and it goes nowhere and it's so incoherent and oh, I was like after a couple of chapters I was like, am I going to finish this book? And I was like, oh, okay, well I'll, I'll just see where this goes. But um, unfortunately, the rest of the book was just as bad, so not recommended. And now I don't want to read the other novels either because I I don't think it's worth my time. The other book was even worse. It's called They Both Die at the End. That's the title of the book. Spoiler. That's actually what happens. <laughs> but it's written by uh, Adam Silvera, who's a New York Times bestselling author. And I saw it um, on TikTok and some other people and on Mastodon were, were raving about it. So, okay, we'll just give it a try. So it tells a story about um, two main characters. They're unrelated. And... Uh, in the world in which they live, um, apparently the government or there is an institution that knows, and we don't really know why and how, they know the day that you're going to die. And in fact, there is an entire company or an entire institution in, in, in the world that will give you a call 24 hours before you're about to die. They don't know how you're going to die. They just know that 24 hours from that phone call, you're not going to be alive anymore. And this is actually something that everybody accepts. And so, of course, it's, it's a, a call that many people dread. But time has shown that they are always right. So I'm thinking that's an interesting premise, right? It's, it's a bit like the memento mori. Remember that one day you will die. And if you know that you're going to die... That's definitely going to change your view on life, right? So if you know that tomorrow you will die, every second of your life becomes important. You make totally different choices. So in, in the beginning of the book, I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is going to be, this, is, this has depth. The premise, I love it. And then you follow these two people and they do nothing inspiring in those in, during that last day, and it's not even pro, pro, like shown us as a like a cautionary tale or maybe it's tragic. No, it's just stupid. The story goes nowhere. These two people finally end up like, okay, so I don't want to spend this last day alone. There's an app for that, and you can find other people who also got the call. And then these two guys meet each other, team up. They're both really bland really no depth at all and you would think okay well 
this is a perfect occasion to get to know each other better and to enrich each other. No, it ends in a very, very, very predictable, totally unbelievable way. Whereas like, oh, here we go again. I won't spoil it. Although I don't, I really don't recommend you reading this book. It's so, so completely devoid of anything worth your time. Um, but I felt what an, a, sometimes you feel like, oh my gosh, if I could write this book, there is so much there in the premise. But the execution is is terrible. This is the first time that I gave a book two stars out of five, which for me is so harsh. I didn't want to give it one star because of the premise, but it's such a a complete chain of, of missed opportunities. And sometimes I'm thinking, you know, this is this is the result of a world where you have nothing to live for anymore. And then so what do you do on the last day? You just do what you've always done. It's like completely inconsequential. Instead of helping the reader to understand that every moment is precious, it just ends in the most predictable way possible and ultimately senseless. Anyway, I'll stop talking about it. It's not worth it. On the contrary, the book that I'm reading right now is ravishing. I love it. It's written by uh, an author that I am always uh, enjoying, Blake Crouch. He wrote um, the Wayward Pines trilogy. And if you're a longtime listener of this show, you know how much I love that trilogy of books. Um, I recently reviewed a book uh, about the guy who was genetically modified. It's Upgrade. It's called Upgrades. Also, that's his latest novel. And this this novel is called uh, Dark Matter. And well, you know what? I was reading it, and it's it's a fun read. It's so well written. It's almost as if you're watching a movie. But I noticed that every time every book has the same plot. It's always about a guy who lives a normal life. And then something happens and he and everything changes in his life. And he wakes up in a world that is completely different and you need to figure out what happened. And so that happened in Wayward Pines, where this character wakes up in a world and it, he's been in cryo sleep for centuries. And now, you know, the world is basically a bit like the Truman Show. It's completely artificial. Love the premise. It's a very good, it's a very good story, very compelling. Then this the the book upgrade, same thing. You get this guy, lives a normal life, and then all of a sudden he literally gets upgraded genetically, gets superpowers, and now and then what? And in this story, we meet this guy, and he is a he's a very regular, run-of-the-mill guy who once had a very promising scientific career, but he chose to have a family instead. He's perfectly happy with that. And then he gets abducted, and and he gets injected with stuff. And then he, we don't know what, he wakes up in a world, and the world still looks the same, but everything is different. So the person that he was married to for 15 years doesn't even know him anymore. Well, they, he, she remembers him from 15 years ago. They never got married. They never got a, a kid. But it's the same it's the same person. And, and so... And the entire you're like reading what's going on how are how is the writer going to explain this and then ultimately like halfway through the book you start to just go, oh this is what's going on and it's ooh it's very very um intriguing i haven't finished the book yet but i'm totally this is one of those page turners and it's such a relief after reading two very very mediocre novels to read a good page turner and just be completely 
when I when I listen to the story, I'm there. I forget about everything else. I'm, those are the best books where you can can lose yourself in a different world. Speaking of which, little aside, did you hear about new Lord of the Rings stories? Apparently, Warner has struck a deal. Um, and they are going to make new movies based on the Lord of the Rings. So, of course, this is because the rights of the Lord of the Rings are... It's a very complicated thing. But anyway, they can actually expand upon the events that are mentioned in The Hobbit and in The Lord of the Rings, as long as, of course, as they don't contradict anything that was written. And um, this is why we have Rings of Power. But now Warner is going to make new movies. And apparently Peter Jackson is also kept in the loop. So I wouldn't be surprised if soon we will get to see... Of course, Peter Jackson was already working on an animated movie, The War of Rohirrim, which tells a, like a backstory. But I'm so curious. Of course, they cannot do, and they don't, they don't want to do, a remake of The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. You know, that would be so... Too early, and it's not necessary. But... but I, I wonder what, what kind of stories... Do you need people that really love the source material to come up with, with new stories to tell that will be compelling enough, of course, and epic enough to, to satisfy the very, very critical Lord of the Rings fans. But I'm already hooked. As Anytime we can go back to, to Middle-earth, I'm, I'm game. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. There is one more thing. Talking about technology, um, I have been trying out the Steam Deck for the first week. So I've, I've thought about this a long time. I asked a lot of advice, especially in our Discord group, from uh, some knowledgeable people, much more knowledgeable than I was. Because, of course, um, I'm, I'm, I love video games. Some of them I play them on, on the Xbox. Uh, and some of them are not available on console. So I play them on my old PC, which I kind of try to uh, keep alive. But the thing is... A lot of the modern games are, you know, they need more power than my old PC can can deliver, especially when it comes to graphics cards. And so, unfortunately, the the, the graphics cards are super expensive nowadays. It's 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 like even like a, a very kind of medium quality graphics card will set you back at least four hundred bucks, if not five hundred. Some some graphics cards are go all the way up to like 800 bucks there's no way in the world that i'm gonna get myself something it's just one element of a pc and so some of uh my friends in the discords community said well you know what try out the steam deck the steam deck is a portable device looks a bit like the nintendo switch but it can play almost any pc game uh, on Steam, and I have a, a lot of games in my Steam library that I used to play on the PC, and according to them, actually, even modern games like the Hogwarts Legacy game and um, uh, Valheim and uh, what else have I installed lately? Anyway, just, just modern uh, uh, recent games can, can, can just work fine on the Steam Deck, and of course, the Steam Deck is, is a 
relatively cheap device, um, and it doesn't use the same kind of power that a, that a full-fledged PC uses. So I was also thinking about that. You know, if I can play a lot of these games just sitting on the couch with a portable device, it's okay. I don't. I don't need to fire up the PC. That's saving a lot of energy because these graphics cards are usually very power hungry. Whereas a portable device, of course, it runs off a battery, so it's it's a bit like um, like a cell phone. So I finally, after thinking about it for a long time, was like, okay, I'll just get a Steam Deck. It's a lot cheaper than than upgrading this PC. And if I upgrade the graphics card, I'll probably also have to upgrade the power brick and then the memory and. Uh, you end up spending a thousand bucks for just play a video game. So, um, and I'm I'm super happy that I made this decision because the Steam Deck is is quite impressive. It, uh, it it in fact does run Hogwarts Legacy a lot smoother than um, than my computer does. And I what I love about it, you can install any game in your Steam library on it and play it. And I have a lot of what they call back catalog, like games I bought maybe years ago, never really uh, sat down to play it. But for some reason, being able to just sit down on the couch and just play for, I don't know, 15 minutes to half an hour um, on a mobile device, all of a sudden makes makes me want to play even these older games. And so I've been uh, installing like Deus Ex, which is a, a science fiction game from, from the 90s. It's super old, but it's such a great story. It's something I would never play on a PC and on a big screen because it, it's old and, and you can tell. But on a small screen, it, it totally, it works fine. Another game that I'm, I'm really eager to try out, and I think, it's it's perfect for a small device like that. Is uh, Baldur's Gate, which is an old RPG game. Um, uh, my friend John Domic said, "Oh, I love those games." Apparently, there's going to be a new version for the PlayStation Five. I don't have a PlayStation Five, but now I want to go and play these older games, and they're super cheap. You know, like I think Baldur's Gate, they've they've upgraded the graphics a little bit and so it can work on on more modern pcs um and i i think i saw them on on good old games so gog.com for what was it 395 per game like this entire game for just four bucks it's insanely cheap and um and apparently this is this is based on a dungeons and dragons gameplay it's like officially like part of the dungeons and dragons lore and of course you know we we have a discord community uh, where we meet up from time to time to play dungeons and dragons and oh i hope that soon we can play another round because it was so much fun but now that i've had that first experience of dnd i'm thinking you know what this is the i'm gonna get that, those games and play them on my steam deck because again it's not a game i would sit down in front of a of a of my computer and, and monitor to play it but this, this is absolutely something i would play casually just here downstairs in my living room so so far so good um, I, I i've only scratched the surface of the things that the steam deck can do but i love it already so much and with that it is time to wrap things up thank you so much for the privilege of your time again a reminder if you want to support me in in making these podcasts and i can still really really use some help we're not uh, we're not um how do you say that in in the clear yet uh, financially because of course i i no longer have my tv work so i i do depend on the generosity of my followers if you're able to help take a look at uh, patreon.com slash father roderick 
and thank you for all of those those of you that have supported me in the past but unfortunately had to cancel their uh, their support for many reasons um, I'm always happy that there are new people that are doing what they can do to uh, to help me continue this ministry I'm going to end up with a, a thought of the day that's actually from um, the venerable Bishop Fulton Sheen and it's a motto that I think really jives with what I tried to explain about the, the like the essence of, of Lent Lent is ultimately about realizing that nothing is more important and more valuable than friendship and love and this is something that Fulton Sheen used to say a lot and it's now adopted as a motto of the minimalists and it's um, use things and love people because the opposite will do more harm than good and I think it's absolutely true use things and love people never the opposite have a blessed Lent talk to you soon